Hey, it's Mandy. I just have a couple of announcements to make before we start the show. On March 17th, I'll be at the Sacramento Beekeepers Association monthly meeting, and I'll be talking about keeping bees in different hives and the importance of propolis and how to encourage it in your hives. So calling all Sacramento beekeepers, I'd love to meet you. I hope to see you there. I'll also be a guest speaker for the Wisdom of the Hive online symposium, which is on March 22nd through the 24th. I cannot believe the lineup. Guest speakers include Nicole Lindsay and Tim Jackson from Detroit Hives, Ariella Daly, Mikhail Tile, Laura Ferguson, Deborah Richmond, Fanta Molino, my bee girl, Cheyenne Bone, Emily Grace King, Amelia Moody, Deborah Roberts, Don Combs, Matt Wiley, who's an amazing mural artist. And I really, really hope that you'll be able to attend. This is unique because it's a beekeeping conference that you can attend from your own home. And the recordings are going to be done live. Uh, you can send in your questions ahead of time for any of the speakers. And each speaker will have an hour-long time slot to answer those questions and interact with the guests. And if you aren't able to be there during their live event, you can go back and watch the recordings at your leisure at any time. So to get tickets for that, visit ecospiritualeducation.com and look for Wisdom of the Hive 2020. And just another quick note before we get started, today's episode sounds a little bit different than some of my recent episodes, and that's because it was recorded in person. Most of my interviews are done on the phone or a video call, um, so it was really great to get to record in person, but it was at a location that sits alongside of a really busy road, so you'll hear the occasional truck or car go by. I tried to edit that out as much as I could, but you know, I'm a beekeeper, not an audio expert. Anyways, let's start the show. This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today, we feature three incredible bee advocates who took a brave leap of faith and joined forces to build a company that promotes the health of native bees, honeybees, biodiversity, and more. Together, they keep a busy schedule of classes and hands-on workshops, host apiary tours, make skincare products, offer stunning photos and stickers. They're smart in business, friendship, and in beekeeping, and I'm really proud to call them my friends. Meet Bee and Bloom. We are here at Bee and Bloom headquarters in Portland, Oregon. We have Emily Parker, Rebecca Golden, Emma Eggstad, and Clementine. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. You're friends of mine uh, from the bee community, so yeah. we've known each other for quite a while and have served together on the board of directors for Portland Urban Beekeepers. And it's been really amazing to watch the three of you grow your business together over the last few years. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's Thanks. been quite an adventure. For sure. And at this point, I couldn't really imagine doing anything else. <laughs> 
So you have a bee business that's a little bit different than a typical urban beekeeping business. Will you tell me a little bit about all that you do? Our business is centered around education. We do traditional beekeeping education, but we also like to talk a lot about native bees and native pollinator support. Uh, So we have kind of created a model where we use honeybees to kind of lure people in. People are really able to easily connect with the idea of beekeeping and honeybees. They know that it's important. They know what a beekeeper looks like. So that idea is very accessible. And so if people come to, you know, a beekeeping workshop or a beekeeping experience, and we can then introduce them to all of the other 4,000 native species that we have in North America uh, and how they're important. And they don't look like honeybees and they don't make honey and we don't keep them in hives, but they are also really in need of our care and support and thought. So we do all kinds of education. Uh, We do experiences out on our uh, pollinator sanctuary on Savi Island. Uh, We work out of Bullo Bar Farm there. So our main goal is just to bring people together with bees and not just honeybees, but all bees and really enlighten them to the fact that they exist. But also meeting people where they currently are and their understanding. So honeybees get a lot of publicity Mm -hmm. and hype and it's something that people are really aware of. And then bridging that gap and uh, closing the buffer between more academic and conservation and ecological based uh, Mm -hmm. information and, you know, normies. (laughs) normies. <laughs> Anyone um, who might have a passing interest. But then it also, I mean, not everybody's going to be a beekeeper and that's not something that we even want to promote. Um, we don't think that everybody should be doing it. It's something that you really have to be dedicated to. And a lot of people begin without that level of understanding. Um, mm-hmm. So being able to preach, I guess, the small things or the other bee-friendly things that people do. That's what I really like about the way that you approach your beekeeping workshops and even client work and when you talk to people about beekeeping is that it is not for everybody and I think you ask the questions that get people to reflect like why do I want to keep bees? Is it because I want to help them Mm -hmm. or because I actually like you know getting into a hive and doing the management aspect of it and so giving them an answer to what they can do to help other bees without having to get into beekeeping is very appealing. Yes, yes. Yeah, and we definitely do find that with people coming to us wanting to start a beehive and then after kind of going through that series of questioning, discovering, oh, maybe this isn't for you, like planting is for you. Plant Mm -hmm. and watch and observe bees coming to your yard. And so there's just that whole spectrum of range that we end up encountering. You three all have really wonderful backgrounds. Can you tell us, um, just say who you are so people will know your voice and then um, share like your background and and how you got into bees or what what attracted Um, you to them? So this is Emily speaking and I actually got into bees and insects more generally. I've always been fascinated by insects. Um, I was a kid who would catch a whole bunch of wasps and bring them into my mother in a jar (laughs) and she would be like looking at me like I was insane. And I kind of lost that love of insects for a while because I just didn't know growing up in L.A. that you could work with insects and make a career out of it. And so I went on a pre-vet kind of pathway. And I started um, doing school at UC Davis down in California. And on my pre-vet kind of animal science path, I discovered they had entomology courses, decided to dip my toe in that pool, um, and loved everything about it. So I started doing um, general entomology studies alongside my animal science studies and learned systematics and taxonomy, uh, medical entomology, kind of my big passions at the time. Wow. And working at the Bohart Museum of Entomology down there, doing volunteer work, um, sorting collections. So sorting 
thousands of insects from various collection trips all over the world um, into their various groups. And so that was really exciting for me. I didn't actually get into pollinators and bee studies until I moved up here to Portland. And that's where my kind of passion for native bees started popping up. And especially with my, I have a kind of a side thing with photography. And I do a lot of macro photography work of insects. And I really started finding a passion taking native bee photography photos um, and sharing those with the world. I'm Rebecca, uh, and I got into bees uh, through my undergrad. And so uh, growing up, I really idolized Jane Goodall. I wanted to study chimps and be a primatologist and live in Africa uh, and, you know, camp out all the time and just hang out with non-human animals (laughs) as much as possible. And so I... I uh, did my undergrad at the University of Arizona, and I studied ecology and evolutionary biology, and, you know, still with the trajectory of doing primatology, but I took an animal behavior course and got an opportunity to work as a research assistant in that professor's lab, and they were studying bumblebee pollination behavior, uh, and so we were basically training bumblebees on different floral arrays and then testing their innate preferences and seeing how they're changed with experience uh, to see what types of floral cues elicit different responses from them. So that would be like color, shape, scent, yeah, and and experience levels and whether they actually learn preferences and kind of this larger study with many subsections that all kind of went into that signal processing blanket. But it was all just way too fascinating. I think actually at first I was really afraid of getting stung. And I was like, I can't believe I'm working with bees. I can't believe I'm working with insects. But I got over it after my first sting, (laughs) which happened, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks. It's like, oh, I can handle that. That's no big deal. And then I got to like have a greater appreciation for their behaviors and the emergent properties that come about uh, in colony dynamics um, and then it was like this whole world was open to me where it's like whoa okay so there's bumblebees and honeybees that have colony dynamics and then there are like many many other species that are solitary and do something that's completely different and just like learning the just the vast range and diversity of bees and how they interact with plants and how the plant and then the bee influence each other's evolution was really really fascinating to me <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't stop and when I moved to Portland after graduation I got a job working for a local beehive supplier as their education and outreach person and met Emma and Emily there and we all really just hit it off and clicked and get to work with my best friends every day doing something that I really love so it's awesome (laughs) all right this is Emma now and I kind of came into the bee world through the back door Uh, my background is actually in music I studied classical cello and had a career in music and when I moved out here with my partner, um, I was resetting career-wise. I knew I didn't want to be a touring musician anymore. It was just, that's a whole different can of worms. But um, I remember getting here and I was like, wow, I could do anything that I wanted. And a couple of years before, um, I had started making my own skincare products, body care products and face creams and deodorants and things like that. And um, I was using beeswax and honey. And so it kind of piqued my interest about producing. I was trying to produce all of my own raw materials, like growing herbs. And I got a beehive to see if I could make my own beeswax and honey, just kind of on a whim. I was living kind of out in the middle of nowhere at the time. And I was like, yeah, I could do this. I could get a beehive. (laughs) um, So I did. And so when I moved here and I was kind of deciding, you know, what is next for me? I just Googled 
beekeeping jobs in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Wound up at the same uh, beehive supplier that Becca mentioned. And um, I was just kind of uh, doing some customer service and retail things there for a while, but eventually I merged into being a bigger part of the education and managing their apiary. And so I, I was spending a lot of time working with bees and learning about bees. I just really fell down the bee rabbit hole. And when I met Becca and Emily, we were all kind of parting ways with the company we were working for. And we decided to just take the parts that we loved of what we were doing and see if we could make our own thing out out of it, which was really the public outreach and the education. And so I started in honeybees, but after hooking up with some like serious entomologists, (laughs) um, I was introduced to this other world of you know, all of the other thousands of bee species, which I really fell in love with. They're so fascinating and beautiful and important. And so, yeah, we've been doing that ever since. And it's been really fantastic. I feel mm-hmm. really lucky to be doing what we're doing. And I feel like we're in such a fantastic place to be doing it in Portland. Mm-hmm. I think that this idea of sustainability um, and conservation is spreading right now. People are realizing the importance of it. But Portland is really a hotbed for that kind of thing. And there's a lot of interest here, uh, just in the general public. So what we're doing is, is has been really well received, which is really encouraging. I've been really enjoying that too, seeing the changes in people and the willingness to yeah. make pollinator habitat in their own yards and rip up lawns for that and mm-hmm. hang mason bee houses mm-hmm. and keep a little pile of debris in their back corner in order for bumblebees <laughs> to nest in it. And yeah. This it's is a spot. So encouraging to like with your photography and things that we bring mm-hmm. to events, just the number of people that come up and actually recognize the different yeah. species. Yeah. That's been changing the last <laughs> several years. Which is really cool. Uh, and you have an Etsy shop too, right? We do. do have an Etsy shop. Yeah. We, so I kind of got my start in this through making high product products. with these <laughs> So that's always been an interest of mine. So we've just started making lip balms and herbal salves, and um, Becca's become a beeswax food wrap master. That's um, true. <laughs> yeah. And we have Emily's photography. We have some really beautiful prints and stickers. Uh, so we, we're just kind of starting to dip our toe in waters of More product selling sales. products, yeah. um, which has been really fun. It's it's fun to make them. We've started doing some markets, and that's been another vehicle for just kind of talking about these with people. We like to bring our observation hive to the markets with us, or we'll sometimes catch, you know, some little native bees and have them in with flowers and people can kind of pick them up and interact with them. So yeah, that's been another good just conversation starter. And Emily's bee collection. Yeah, the bee collection. Definitely bring the the collection packs on (laughs) me with me wherever I go. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta represent. (laughs) I want to talk about the the evolution and like those first steps that the three of you took together to create the business. And you, you've had some really wonderful success over, it's only been four years? Three, three and a half, yeah. 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 yeah, so in a very short amount of time, um, you three have done so much work while still having other jobs yes. and personal lives, but you've remained really dedicated to being blue. Yeah, I would definitely say the first year was challenging. We didn't have, I mean, we knew what we kind of wanted to do big picture, um, the education, the outreach, that kind of stuff, but we didn't have a spot. Uh, like we didn't have an apiary at the time. Um, well, we kind of, it was complicated. <laughs> um, so yeah, that first year I'd say was a lot of just kind of throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what's stuck. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, think it was just kind of a general willingness for us to be active in the community. A lot of things fell into place for us in a way that seemed kind of lucky, but I guess it also is just statistics. Well, the very first 
free event we did as Bee and Bloom's just like a bee friendly practices talk. Um, <laughs> it was all donation based and we did it out of what are those spaces called where it's like a big workshop and then you can rent out stations. Like a co-working, but it was like a tool co-working. It's space. like industrial co-working. Yeah. It was really interesting. It was a really interesting like, space. <laughs> exactly. And so um they had like this big theater room with a projector and stuff and we met the owner of this big collaborative working space and uh, he was happy to host us and so we had it for free and just had it as like this big community event and that's where we met the owner of the farm where we work out of at Sabi Island. Um, so Campbell Kid came and had actually seen some of the videos and materials that I'd made and mm-hmm. then found that we had an event like that night. And so it was like this really short window of time. It's really kismet thing. So we ended up coming. So he invited us like to do, or asked us to do a consultation, hired us to do a consultation with his two honeybee hives he had at the farm. And we went out there and like kind of mentioned that he wanted to grow his operation. And then like, well, we're looking for a place and we're able to form this business partnership with him where we have our apiary and kind of our, headquarters or our base of operations at Willow Bar Farm. Um, and it's been just really awesome, a really awesome opportunity for us. Yeah, yeah it has been. And I think another another angle of, you know, starting a small business in such a niche area, uh, it is tough. I think anybody who started a business can attest to the fact that it's not easy and it takes a lot of long hours with very little pay for a long time. Uh, and I think we got really lucky with our group because we all share a vision. I think we all have a very clear idea of where we want to end up and the things that are important to us, our priorities. And I think it's kind of rare to find a group that you click with so entirely in that regard. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a very similar levels of commitment and dedication. So I don't think that any of us have ever felt like we we're having to carry more than our equal share of the burden. We have all been equally committed and we've been able to maintain our friendship that whole time too. So we work, we got really lucky in the sense that we work really well together. And yeah, we've had to carry second jobs yeah. to, to make ends meet. That's starting to change, but it's still something, you know, we, especially in the off season, it becomes necessary to have part-time jobs, but this is always a full-time job. So, mm-hmm. you know, the hours can be long and it, it helps to do something that you believe in. I think that that even when you may not want to be doing it at that very moment, mm-hmm. uh, you know why you're doing it. I think that's a big piece of the puzzle as well. I would add, too, on the kind of group dynamics thing. If you're going into a partnership for a small business, I think you really need to have people that you can be 100% honest with, that mm-hmm. you feel safe with. Yeah. Because sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations about disagreements. And you need to know that, you know, you'll have those conversations and then you can wrap it up and be good and <laughs> yeah. still be friends at the end of the day. Yeah. And I really feel that way with my two partners. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, trust. Yeah, there's a lot of trust. There's you have to have a lot of trust. trust. I think that's important. I always heard, like, don't go into business with your friends. I am. Um, which, and I, I could see that. I could see why. That might be a problem, but we got, we got super lucky, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think what you have is so unusual because you're able to have your friendship, but you're also very success-driven and motivated yeah. for the business to survive. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Well. yeah, I think it is a hard... And I think even sometimes, like, we're tired sometimes, so we don't want to do, like, the hangout <laughs> thing, you know, always. But yeah. I, at the end of the day, I think when you, things go right for you in this business, it's so nice to have... Emma and Becca to turn to and celebrate with at the end of the day. And that makes it so worth it to keep doing that. Doing my business solo, I think sometimes it's hard to stay motivated Mm -hmm. to do stuff. 
because there's really not anybody holding me accountable yeah. but myself. But then also, I, the three of you have such a great balance of ideas and skill sets. Right. That I just have yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think it's just really, really awesome that the three of you are working together. Thank you. <laughs> we are really lucky. <laughs> In so many ways. Just like hearing the, the starting story again. I was like, oh. Yeah, things really, you have a certain amount of luck. And then I also really think we are three really intelligent women who know what we're talking about and can bring that to the table. And that does draw that attention in. I think there is such a thing as bee karma. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. The amount of effort that you put into the beavers, Mm -hmm. it comes back to you with those bits of luck here and there. You'll You'll get that back. Yeah. And then it helps elevate what you're doing and yeah. expand your opportunities. Absolutely. I feel that. Karma <laughs> for sure. There was a new study that came out recently about solitary bees that learn from each other. And I kind of, I like to think that's what we're doing <laughs> yeah, here, yeah. right? Like we're, we're, we work together, like we cooperate really well, but it's at a scale where I think it's more... <laughs> like we have our independence roles that we kind of like chug away at and then we come back together learn something new exactly yeah, yeah. it's more representative of the solitary bees but like the sweat bees doing that is that where you're reading this? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's <based on> curiosity <laughs> sweat bees. maybe we can talk about how to spot bogus articles about bees because oh, there are so my... many of them out there yeah yes and for somebody who's new with bees, how do you spot the articles that are just garbage? Like, what, uh, what's the, a good resource for really good, reliable bee information? I mean, Xerces Society is always my go-to for North American listeners. Um, they're just so good and broad. And then also, while you're visiting Xerces.org, you can also learn about the other invertebrates that they help support besides pollinators mm-hmm. and bees. Um, but they have some wonderful bee-specific research and management and planting tips and all that good stuff to really, and for small farmers too, resources there to help people turn the tides against some issues facing pollinators today. The OSU extension yeah, has a lot organ. of good... Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to kind of your question too, like how do you spot the fakes? I would personally just stop following any trendy science uh, online <laughs> resource because they're usually just garbage when it comes to insect stories uh one um, big thing that comes up all the time is people using flies as their yes. picture oh are you all right yeah. <laughs> flies all the time they're not honeybees people yes well, i also think a lot of people they get they see a lot of these news headlines on social media and i think this goes with this applies to everything but and on our particular topic there's a lot of sensationalized uh, media reporting on honeybees in particular. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people know about and relate to and ask us questions about when they hear that we work with bees is they're like, oh yeah, honeybees are dying, right? Like honeybees are almost extinct, right? That's what we hear about all the time. And I think if you see something that sounds that dire and that crazy, um, just dig into it a little bit. You know, I think I have a lot of family members that I love. They support what we do and they share every single honeybee article that they come across. And a lot of these articles are saying things that are not really true or at least are being exaggerated and the other thing i'll just add is there are there's no such thing as a good or bad insect like they're just insects i could see a lot of sensational stories about wasps other stinging insects which also have really interesting new social behaviors the colony type 
wasp that we end up encountering more negatively sometimes as humans. Um, and yeah, so we have a tendency to nuke the hell out of like an ant colony or ants that are in your house, right? <laughs> you know, right. That share a lot of the same features that we love about honeybees. And so I, I try to ask people to just think critically about insects and their role, their larger role, in like kind of more of a holistic ecological sense, instead of being anthropomorphized into good or bad or heroes mm-hmm. and, and right. demons and. People yeah. do like to say that about wasps in particular. They'll be like, oh, you guys were the good guys, but I hate wasps. And I think all three of us now are pretty quick to come to the defense of wasps. <laughs> we're like, well, you know, that's the most diverse group of animals um, on the planet, actually. And they have a lot of really important things that they do. And there are a couple really rude ones. But even even the really rude ones, I think, for the most part, if you leave them be, yeah, they'll be okay. That's but exactly what we'd say about bumblebee nests or yeah. honeybee nests. Or, you know. <laughs> and I would say, like, an explosion of... Yellow jackets, for instance, maybe is indicative of like the way that we've manipulated our landscapes and environments in urban and suburban areas. So, like, they are a particular insect that is really good at living alongside humans or like finding burrows or nests in places that we have created and we have provided. And so it's like, I don't know, if you feel like there's an explosion of something bad that happens, it's the same for pest species. If you have an explosion of aphids on your roses or something, like there are certain environmental factors that we have created that allow them to thrive there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so kind of looking critically at that rather than trying to treat them as the problem, like thinking about, you know, how you can change the environment so that they're not as big of a threat or as big of a problem. Totally. So, can we apply that principle or that logic to varroa mites? Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, we try to. As much as possible. Um, yeah, we definitely instruct people in more of an integrated pest management philosophy when it comes to varroa mites and honeybees. Um, so that for people not familiar with integrated pest management, it's both looking at the toxicity of treatments for humans and our target species, which is going to be the honeybee in this case. Um, and trying to reduce that as much as possible, but still have effective means of treating the problem pest, in this case, Varroa. And so we try to start people at those levels or thinking like, go from lowest to most severe, test for Varroa mites, figure out what your populations look like inside your hives. Don't just willy-nilly treat because we don't want to have the opposite thing happen where we start building resistance, which is what we've been battling the whole time Varroa has been here in North America. Um and so it's, a again, it's kind of much bigger, holistic, looking at the health of your hives and making sure they're, you know, have good, diverse forage around them to support their, their immune system so they can actually fend off varroa infestations. Um, you know, having reduced entrances or robbing screens installed during peak robbing seasons so they're not transmitting between each other during robbing episodes. All those kind of things definitely influence that integrated pest management discussion that we have with our clients um, in our workshops to, to help reduce furrow incidences. Well, that also reminds me just of kind of what Becca was saying about humans creating environments that yes. kind of drive these explosions of pest species or whatever. With Roa in particular, it reminds me of Tom Seeley talking about, you know, keeping smaller colonies, mm-hmm. um, just the way we manage and keep our colonies or keeping, you know, lo- more locally adapted stock instead of ordering packages from across the country. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that we think about what the environments we're creating and how that might. And we do have to really recognize as beekeepers that we're keeping honeybees in a very artificial right. situation. Yeah. Right. And what, and, and being aware of that and being aware of the consequences of that, thus we can start 
kind of repairing the damage of those consequences. Yeah, and if you think just in general about parasitology or predator-prey dynamics or any ecological relationship, like it will have a balance. It will find itself like a balance if... And I think, I, I think honeybees are particularly... Different. It's a little different because it's, it's fascinating because we have, I think we have two tracks happening with honeybees right now. We have the urban backyard hobbyist beekeeper who is influenced to take care of their, you know, they view their honeybees as pets. They're part of their lives on almost a daily basis. They're, they bring a lot of joy and fascination to their lives and that's fantastic. And then we have the other side of the honeybee coin, which is commercial beekeeping operations um, where you have thousands of hives, not tens of thousands of hives that you're managing as a commercial beekeeper. And the economic importance of those hives is really crucial to that, that beekeeper. Um, but those two streams of how you deal with pest species like varroa, for example, or how you're looking at those human influence management techniques and are going to be really, really different. And I feel like both of those two beekeeping worlds should know about each other. And be and be influenced by each other, and under have that understanding of our kind of larger scale system on the commercial side, and our smaller scale system in backyards. Yeah, like I totally believe that genetics can be mm-hmm. one of the components that can get us there completely. But I hesitate to recommend people just let the bees right. take care of it themselves, and if they die, they die. The context of the situation, right? Yeah. So if we have them in these artificial hives or these like artificially simulated situations, it's a non-native species, it was introduced here. The reason we have them is to have a domesticated animal in our yard that provides a product or a service to us, and so we have to treat them that way. <laughs> and yeah, like breeding and genetics is a part of that but we also have a responsibility to make sure they're not just like we're not putting these animals in a situation where they're completely doomed and i think in general that's what natural beekeeping and treatment free beekeeping does in most contexts Um, you know it's different if you have an expansion model practice with a huge plot of land in the middle of nowhere where you like are catching swarms and propagating your hives via splits, but for a backyard or hobbyist beekeeper in an urban setting that has like one to three hives, it's just not feasible. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think genetics does play a huge role. And I don't think we're honest where we're dialing that in enough, especially on the hobbyist level and on the commercial level, both levels. Like, I don't think we're using that to our advantage enough. And we have seen genetics work too, think with things like tracheal mites in the 70s. That was a genetic episode where we were able to kind of get them down to suppress manageable levels where trachylomites still exist today, but they're not nearly the same issue they were in the 1970s. But like going back to our level, like if we're talking to a client about setting up a hive in their backyard and they only want to have one beehive and they want to be in beekeeping for several years, then we can't like, you know, responsibly say do it treatment free because the chances of you losing that hive are very, very high. And in last year, for multiple years. Yeah. And that's and a huge investment. And in potentially, you know, spreading mites and disease to other colonies in the right. area. I mean, yeah. that, that's a real problem as yeah. well. Yeah. So, so it's, it's for those clients, it's, it's like, how can we keep your one hive alive? And we just, you know, it's a lot harder of a discussion to be like, let's be treatment free and see what happens. Because they have to come in with the expectation that there's a good chance they might lose that hive. And that's just a really hard discussion to have. I always encourage people, you know, there's a lot about the treatment-free model or natural beekeeping that I completely understand mm-hmm. with and agree with in many ways. I do think it comes down to context, like Becca and Emily were saying. But 
I always recommend when people come to us and they're wanting to learn beekeeping and they're really adamant about being treatment-free, my recommendation is always just get a year or two under your belt. Learn the basics of beekeeping. Get familiar with bee biology. Learn to keep a hive alive. And then move on to these more advanced methods because it takes a lot of knowledge and it takes a lot of expertise. And that doesn't come in your first year of beekeeping. Yeah, I would even say non-chemical like IPM methods. Yeah. Like drone comb removal. And sure. so you just have to be really on top of your hive. Yeah. In order so you don't make the situation a lot worse. I think they right. do work, but if for a brand new beekeeper practicing right. some of those methods, it's just really challenging for that to get yeah. for them to understand how important it is for them to be there at day 10 and pull that comb. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, yeah, it's and, just tricky. And when I first came out here, what I was being told in the beekeeping circles I was running in was, it's easy. All you have to do is put bees in your hive in your backyard and let them go and just kind of let them do their thing. And I think that's really not true. It may have been true at one time. I think anymore, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, you, you can't really do that because you're, you're going to lose your bees. And then also you may be spreading problems to you know, your neighbor's colonies or your colonies down the road. Yeah, it's true. Like, right. if you're brand new and you have this idea that you can just be hands off with your bees mm-hmm. and not use any methods or treatments with them right? and just expect them to thrive, it's not going to happen. And right. it's different in different areas, too. Like, yeah. we're working in the Pacific Northwest. Short season, very wet. Yeah. Like, I, it's challenging. And I think that's something that's important. You know, right now... There's a lot of information spread on Facebook and on Reddit, and there are lots of different online communities where people can observe other beekeepers, they can learn tips and tricks from other beekeepers. I think something that's really important for people to remember is it is all about context and location. So if you're following a beekeeper, you know, I'm in Portland, I follow a beekeeper in San Diego or down in Florida, and I watch their practices, and I'm a new beekeeper, I have to remember that just because something is working for them there does not mean it's going to work here or would be a good practice here. And so it's important to pay attention to that, to where people are, to what may be affecting their successes or failures, and being careful about applying that to you and to your specific location and context. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage new beekeepers to get involved with their local clubs. You know, meet and talk to beekeepers in your area who have experience here uh, because they should have some good insights on those things. Yeah, they've been there. Yeah, yeah. I think also not to shove your doctrine that was likely from people in other places down the throats of the experienced people in your area. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When you don't have any experience doing it successfully yet. So behaving just like anything. I mean, you, you've got to put your time in. You have to put your hours in the hive in and you, I I guarantee you that the ideas that you have going in will be different when you're three years in. Mm -hmm. It's just going to change. Even for me now, I'm still learning. I'm still changing. But I look at my beekeeping philosophy, you know, six years ago, and I'm like, wow. (laughs) It's, you know, I've changed my mind on a lot of things. Um, So just, I think, keeping this idea of, like, being fluid and staying flexible with what you believe and not ever just, like, digging your heels in. On yeah, that it's idea. not being dogmatic. Yeah. It's so important being, to be being open to, to listening and learning. I think yeah. it's really important in this in this field. And I think we should be. I think that's another problem that I see with some of the social media groups and yeah. things is they're very isolated. And then you just get this like like circular conversation of the same thing happening. And it's a self-congratulatory kind of. I wish more beekeepers could be open to all the ideas, at least hearing each other out in a respectful, cordial way. Right. And... Yeah. There's and what we can learn from each other. Totally. Even no, in the disagreements, yeah. So what is next for Bamboo? You've just taken an enormous step and you now have a office space yeah. that's gorgeous. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Yeah. So, I mean, so we'd love, so now we have an office actually in Portland centered. So our farm is based out on Savi Island. So anyone not familiar with Portland, that's kind of just outside of Portland. It's actually the largest river bound island in North America, which is pretty cool. And if you're um, coming to Portland, you can sign up for one of their Airbnb experiences. Yes. yes. And join them at Willow Bar Farm. Yes, yeah, so you can come see the farm, hang out with us for an afternoon, meet the honeybees, meet the native bees out there, see some things that you could put in your own yard. So that's really awesome. We'd love to have you out there. Eat honey. Eat honey. <laughs> you know, good stuff. Um, but our office space is now in Portland Central. And so we'll have a local space where people can come meet up with us for consultations. We're going to have workshops out of this space. We're going to have pop-in days where you could come pick up some of our products, like our lip balms and salves. Um, we're going to be selling cocoons for mason bees this year, so you can pick those up here as well. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't know, I guess this is a much further vision, but one thing that's been a little bit challenging for us is to be able to do what we do and, like, to have our passion but still, you know, pay the bills and be able to continue doing so. So long-term, it would be really great to be able to find – collaborators or transition into like a nonprofit status that we're able to offer a lot of the experience-based education that we do to larger groups of people or people who are maybe lower income or Mm -hmm. um, living a less privileged lifestyle and Mm -hmm. just making sure that these things are available to anybody who's interested yeah especially for people who maybe don't have like the agricultural ability like to go see those agricultural sites Mm -hmm. hands-on we'd love to be able to open that world to people and see how food systems work and and this is why we love bees and honeybees because it really is a great launching platform for food security for agricultural talks for restoration talks for all those kind of things that maybe is a little bit more out of reach for city-dwelling folks or people that just haven't had the ability to have those experiences. And then also, you know, working with farmers, um, doing pollinator consultations, so like helping them set up bee habitats that aren't necessarily honeybee hives, um, Mm -hmm. and helping them set up, you know, planting buffers or other practices that are bee-friendly in the farming context. We are coming Mm -hmm. up this year. I mean, we've just finished filling up our calendar with all sorts of workshops and experiences and uh, we're partnering with some of the soil and water conservation districts to offer uh, workshops to the public and for free. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, kind of just working up our product line and also projects that we have in the works out at the farm uh, that we're really excited about. We're doing a lot of planting experimentation, getting um, that kind of pollinator sanctuary idea rolling out there with lots of native plants. Last year, we went through flagship farm certification with Oregon State and so we're required to take a series of webinars about you know reducing the exposure to pesticides and um, creating pollinator seed mixes for larger meadowscaping projects and you know pollinator plant buffer hedgerows um, and monitoring for tracking bee populations in that specific area and seeing how those projects are actually working to like increase biodiversity in certain areas. And so that's been really awesome. We'll continue with that. (laughs) Yeah, especially the building out. And that's been really fun. I think because a lot of us 
all three of us don't really come from a horticulture background in any way. And so learning about plants yes. has yeah. been really, I mean, especially for me personally, really <laughs> rewarding. I should speak for myself. And so it's been really nice to learn about the organ natives and how we can actually employ them to be great for bees. And just a quick insight just about out of the farm. Uh, there is a farmer, Fox and Bear, is Katie Bo. Um, she does all of the farming at Will of Our Farm where we're located. And she has been an incredible farmer to work with and learn from because all of her practices are just inherently very bee friendly. So we haven't had to do much educating with her because she's already, you know, not using pesticides and just doing a lot of integrated pest management strategies um, in her farming operation that are really beneficial for insects out yeah. there. Uh, so that's been a really good partnership uh, that we've been lucky to be a part of. I think it ties in so well with the holistic approach because like Katie and for Fox and Bear, like the farming ethos is to have lots of heirloom varieties and crop rotations and, you know, having healthy soil microbes Mm -hmm. and doing no-till practices. And so all of those things that are good for the soil and for the the produce itself Mm -hmm. and the quality of vegetables are also beneficial for bees and other beneficial insects. It's all open pollination. Mm-hmm. Um, letting some things just go to bolt, like her arugula and her other leafy greens, and Radishes. allowing that to be food for the bees. And yeah. it's been really nice. To learn more about Bee and Bloom, visit them online at beeandbloom.com. If you've been enjoying the show, be sure to like and share us on social media. And if you want to take it to the next level, you can become a patron like Wes Langford and Karine Le Logius. <laughs> say that right anyways you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash mandy shaw beekeeper confidential is 100 listener supported and i appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in until next time may the fuzz be with you Confidential is a Waggle Works production and is written and produced by Mandy Shaw.